Welcome to the Harry Potter Virgin, where three Potterheads guide a Wizarding World Virgin on their first journey from platform nine and three quarters. On this show, our resident muggle Rob will share his experience of reading the original Harry Potter series for the first time in his 30-something years. He'll be helped along the way by three veterans of the Potterverse. This is episode two, and it's a genuine landmark episode. Today, Rob is giving us his thoughts on the very first three chapters of book one, Harry Potter stone before he joins us let me bring in my co-host to reminisce on our memories of reading these iconic chapters welcome millers yo and philippa lumas millers i understand you had some housekeeping um to go through before we start start in earnest yeah just a few bits of housekeeping for people who listened to the first episode um yeah <laughs> hey, mum. Uh, you might have noticed that matt said that the name of the podcast was podcast yes is that right um unsurprisingly when we went to upload this it turns out that there are about a million harry potter podcasts called podcast so we have now changed our name and it's the harry potter virgin we got some questions about our rather strange image to go with the uh podcast um and we do plan to have a new proper image but if any of you are really good at doing that kind of thing as and would like to make us one that would be amazing and save me some time um, and the third thing was just that if you have any questions either for us or for rob um send them to us and we'll like chat about them how do people send them to us oh, if, they, know, if like, they don't have our phone number oh. <laughs> i think everyone who listens to this podcast that's my phone number. That's a direct line. So, let's back off. Last week, you told us about needing two attempts um, of the opening sequence of the book. So, leaving aside the failed first attempt, what do you remember of reading this section first time around? Oh, I don't really remember it at all first time around. It was interesting because rereading it again, it's quite a... We were talking about the fact that it's not a very exciting opening for a children's book mm. and maybe that like explains the difference in me reading it for the first time and Phil reading it for the first time because she was that bit older well yeah let's let's just I was going to ask Phil you told us you were hooked from the beginning um yeah do you want to sort of elaborate on on that anymore well uh, yeah I just felt immediately you just know you're starting something amazing um I love the fact that it starts in quite a mundane setting and but that you get this sense from the off that there's two worlds going on here so I think the first chapter just leaves you with so much intrigue I agree and I think by the end of the first chapter you're hooked I just didn't get past the first page that was my yeah <laughs> uh, Millers how do you think Rob is going to respond to these chapters I'm worried that he will identify too much with Vernon Dursley because <laughs> he's overweight do you think there's any chance he's really enjoyed it yeah I do I definitely think that and I think the frustrating thing is my answer will always be as if he hasn't already got hooked then for me, he's ju he's just a page away. He's only ever going to be a page away because it will happen. Um, well, and I just think this first, the first few chapters, like thinking it's impossible to read them in isolation, isn't it? When you know the books as well yeah. as we do, it's so hard to really go back to the way that you felt the first time you read them. Um, but 
one thing that I really feel about these first three chapters is how much you love Harry. He is such a likable character. I'm, I'm keen to bring Rob in and I just, I really want to see how the real world element works on him. I'm fairly sure I was read uh, the first two books rather than reading them myself. And I, I did feel a little bit like a kid reading this again, or I, w- I wanted to be reading it to a kid when mm. I was reading it these last couple of days to try and uh, ramp up that kind of uh, sense, that suspense and, and excitement of the magical world just gently encroaching upon the uh, the uh, the real world. Well, it's funny that you said, you know, about uh, how much you wanted to be reading reading it to a child because it is common knowledge amongst all our... How many listeners have we got? I don't know, five. Millers, you've got seven, the stats. Seven and a half. Seven, seven. and a half listeners. That the, the only reason I had children was to read them Harry Potter. That's a big investment because... I've still got a good few years to go. So in the in the interim, Rob is my child. Let's bring him in now. Welcome, Rob. All right, nerds. How are we doing? <laughs> yeah, we're doing well. Ooh. Bit uh, bit spiky there. Yeah, that's my that's my traditional intro now. Okay, perfect. Well, <laughs> look, no beating around the bush, Rob. Just come straight out. We know you've made some notes and you probably got loads of thoughts and, and excitement to, to to get over to us so why don't you just talk us through chapter one the boy who lived what did you think yeah well first off well done guys i'm reading harry potter didn't think Whee! this would be happening Woo-hoo! um as a 32 year old man who reads almost solely non-fiction i'm now reading a children's book for 10 year olds about wizards so i didn't think i'd be here but here i am um Yes, chapter one, uh, primarily about owls, early doors, a lot of owls going on. Um, yeah. The, one of the first things I noticed, a little bit niche, but uh, Dumbledore's wearing high-heeled boots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I did notice Thank that. You little fella. I didn't expect yeah. that. He's quirky. He's really quirky. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> the first chapter is obviously... Yeah, I was like well aware I'm reading a children's book. Obviously, like very kind of simple, very quick. Um, so yeah, I kind of I, I rattled through it pretty quickly. But the, well, the first thing I noticed was that I always assumed that the like the wizards and the humans were separate, and it was all secret, and no one knew about it. But that's obviously not the case. Mm-hmm. Early doors, because they're just kind of mingling. There's blurred lines, yeah. There's very yeah. blurred lines, particularly in this okay. chapter. Are they supposed to keep it secret? Because okay. cat, the cat, the cat was livid about it, and yeah, <laughs> the cat's fuming. Sorry, a few things that like I, I so just I don't know why they annoy me so much, but they really do. Like it, it feels like J.K. Rowling was just kind of phoning it in and just couldn't be asked to come up with stuff like names for stuff. Like the first example is the put outer. Oh my god, this is unbelievable. <laughs> this is okay. amazing. This is amazing. Okay. No, because we need Rob. to leave that there with you. Uh, can, obviously we need to make a note of that. It's in it Miller's or King, yeah. I give you just because yeah. obviously we need to come back 
to that um absolutely yeah. during the deep dive but for now yeah i can see uh, obviously that wasn't i don't think that was something that frustrated any of the rest of us because probably maybe because you know we were we were much younger reading it but um yeah, yeah it's a really interesting point rob thank yeah, you yeah interesting point for that. So keep going another rob. another which is on a kind of similar theme which also annoys me and i, I don't really know why is the the names of people that she's come up with again just feels like she couldn't be asked and it's just plucked them from thin air and the first the first <laughs> reference i've got is is Daedalus diggle mm. <laughs> so the other thing is um obviously we've got harry being sort of abused essentially as the put upon orphan which i was getting sort of you know james and the giant peach vibes it's a bit of a kind of kid story trope i guess but it gets you on side as you know we're all supporting him. He's the hero. That's clear. And the uh, the Dursley characters are just like obviously made to be as hateful as possible. Um, and even I was getting angry with them, to be honest. Even though I don't care. Oh well. <laughs> Millers, any thoughts on that? He's getting angry at the Dursleys. That's good. I was worried you might identify a bit too much with the Dursleys. <laughs> That's so offensive. I'm so happy that um, in some way the story has evoked an emotion with you rather than just annoying you. What about the Dursleys got you angry? Well, I think that there's just, they're just like um, sort of inhumanely horrible to uh, yeah. little Harry, aren't they? Yeah, they're meanies. Rob, did you spot our mistake on one of your questions that you had last week pre-reading the book? Hmm? Uh, I don't think so, no. You asked, was Harry at any point in the books ever referred to as Harold? And technically he isn't, but in chapter one, unbelievably, Uncle Vernon is thinking to himself, maybe he's called Harvey or Harold. <laughs> we lost our shit when we read that back yeah. after the conversation we had last week. I, no, I, I did spot that, but I... I... Would, I was meaning more like him being referred to as Harold by a particularly quirky character or something. Like, pass the orange, Harold. Yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, I just got a quick question. Um, when Vernon fell asleep and the focus of the narrator sort of shifted back outside to the cat, the mysterious cat, did you feel anything? <laughs> what, well, I knew I knew the cat was was not going to be a regulation cat. I think that you are. <laughs> he's smart. What did you anticipate, though? Uh, I don't know. I thought it would might have been like the um, one from Sabrina and the Teenage Witch. Do you remember him? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember him. Salem. Salem. <laughs> Thanks, Billy. All right, so. Why don't we um, move on to chapter two? Yeah. The, the vanishing grass. Yeah, and the, the names, like, I found that quite interesting looking back, obviously. It's a pretty, uh, it's, it's a clear summary of what's going on in the chapter. I, I might start guessing what's going to happen in the chapter based on the name. Um, Great plan. But yeah, they're off, they're off to the zoo. Um, Harry has a chat with a snake. Uh, it gets out. And I think it also... Um, this comes back to the thing, right, of, of we're feeling sorry for Harry because all this stuff keeps happening. He's getting in trouble for it. 
not really his fault. He doesn't know what's going on. Um, doesn't know he's a wizard yet. Uh, yeah, not much else happens in that chapter, does it? There's a bit more character building around uh, Dudley because obviously we've only known Dudley as a as a baby up until yeah. that point. You know, you can just say shan't. Uh, so we get quite a lot of Dudley, obviously, you know, going through his birthday presents and counting them. I thought that might uh, resonate with you, Rob, because I, I. Yeah, I, I hate whiners of the world and he is yeah. he's chief among them. Um, yeah, for me, this is really where you uh, you start to understand a bit about who Harry is and he has such a strong sense of identity for somebody that is so downtrodden. Did you did you feel that, Rob? Yeah, because there's all these references on there. I don't know if it's in this chapter or in one of the others, but where he feels like he knows his past and knows that he's going to get out of it in the future. So I think he, yeah. that, that basically there's this narrative that he's kind of comfortable dealing with the shit life he's got because he knows it's not going to be... Uh, it's not going to be like this all the time. My biggest question, because I think these chapters, the opening chapters of all the books where he spends time with the Dursleys, I just think they're absolutely hysterical. Did you laugh? Um, no. <laughs> that's a pretty firm. That's a pretty firm no. <laughs> Rob, why don't you give us your little, yeah, your little summary of chapter three and your thoughts on it? Yeah, so it's chapter three is where he starts receiving his letters. Um. He obviously the letters yeah, from no one exactly. He, he obviously drops a clangor early doors, and when he brings the letter through, rather than opening it in the hallway, could have saved a lot of a uh, lot of trouble by just doing that. Uh, what's his Vernon? Big Vern um, is <laughs> yeah. really sort of really kind of enthusiastic about stopping these letters for some for some reason, um, which I'm a little bit confused about. Uh, <laughs> Because I know he hates the sort of wizard element, but oh, he, does he read it? He reads the first one, doesn't he? So does he know what's going on? He does. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm a bit confused by that. They obviously hate him and want to get rid of him. So I, I don't know why they don't just pack him off. Um, but anyway, they, they, yeah, he's preventing his letters coming through. More and more keep coming. Vern loses his head, packs him in the car and drives him off somewhere. Um, to a hotel and then the letters just keep coming to the hotel and then they go out on a rowing boat to a little rock or something it's very sketchy as to how that's arranged and then uh, it's some sort of weird Airbnb I think yeah it's one of those like sort of quirky ones yeah. isn't it I think it was eco <laughs> um, yeah Harry obviously gets completely mugged off again by not getting a bed um, and he's livid about it realises he's turning 11, um, I think. And then, yeah, we've got, we've got a knock Rob, on the door. Personally, I felt, reading back these chapters, um, was how remarkably unmugged of Harry seems about everything. He's just oh, used yeah. to it. Um, and he doesn't really complain much. Like, when he gets, like, a knock-off uh, ice cream sundae or, uh, like, a... Uh, you know, a discount uh, lemon ice lolly. He's loving life. The, the, he, He's just happy he to be alive. Stuff, even if it, yeah, he appreciates stuff, even though it's simple and basic. Um, and yeah, reading it back, that's that's how I felt I, I got from Harry. 
But anyway, the knock. Anybody want to pick up and ask Rob a question on chapter three? Like, I am desperate to know what you think is coming next, Rob. And also where you... So I so I understand what you're saying in that you're thinking, well, well this is great for the Dursleys. They've got this letter, um, you know, at the moment we're talking as though none of us know what the letter says. Um, but why do you... So understanding that they are fearful of Harry gaining some sort of additional information, what do you think is their motivation there? Or are you just completely up in the air with it? Yeah, well, because when he is dropped off as a baby, they say, like, they're going to come back from him basically later on. Mm. So I'm assuming that's what the, the letters are about. But I see, yeah. Which means they'd get rid of him, so why don't they just pack him off? Oh, okay, I understand. I understand. Who do you think's at the door, Rob? Um, I think it is Mormons. It's <laughs> 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 a passing delivery. Um, no, I think it is. I think it's uh, Hagrid. Think yeah, it's he seems to be yes. like the sort of collections delivery fella. Rob, do you know who Hagrid is? Um, in the film, I know he's Robbie Coltrane. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. So that's just that's just what I meant because you mentioned yeah, yeah, yeah. train last no, week. No, but I don't know what his um, what his sort of role is, mm-hmm. other than like I say, collections and delivery. I have a question. Um, it's not. I mean, so at the beginning of the chapter, Dudley references um, Harry getting bogwashed at his new school, <laughs> yeah. um, and I I really remember like being 11, like, getting ready to go to secondary school and hearing this rumour that, like, yeah, at secondary school, like, everyone gets bogwashed. Does anyone actually know anyone who ever got bogwashed? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, has it ever happened? Listeners, do you know anyone who's been bogwashed? But, uh, including yourself? Let I us know. know who I, was, I was saying this to somebody the other day. Like, it was classic in my school that if you were small, you just got shoved in a bin. There was a thing, I mean, Rob and I went to school together. Um, bushing, I think, was maybe our version of that, yeah, Rob. That um, shoved in a bush. People, yeah. Yeah, people would just periodically yeah, end up yeah, in I a like bush. Yeah. Um, Rob, you, you just referenced, you know, you know that Hagrid's sort of uh, the pick-up and drop-off guy, but you're not really technically sure who he is. Well, maybe the title of Chapter 4 is a bit of a clue for you. Chapter 4, Rob, is the Keeper of mm-hmm. the Keys. Chapter five is Diagon Alley. And chapter six is the journey from platform nine and three quarters. And that's what we want you to read right. next time. I was genuinely uh, struggled to stop. I, ah, I, was, I, I was tempted to read on. <laughs> I am so, so happy. happy to hear that. All right, don't be too happy. So happy. Because just... just... <laughs> Just as we finished chapter three, uh, reading it back now, I turned to Millers and I said, "There's no way he won't be excited about this at the door. There's no way he. There's no way he won't have a flicker of intrigue about who's at the door or what they're going to say <laughs> or what they're going to do." And 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 I think those next three chapters will take you up to another really good natural sort of you know, uh, yeah, stop, stop and think. Uh, point in the book 
And Rob, once you've read chapter six, the journey from platform nine and three quarters, you could go uh, up to the King's Cross and have your photo <laughs> yes! taken. Yes. And you know what, Rob, these days, because of COVID, yeah. it's probably not And also, going back to like our current pandemic situation, there is nothing in life currently more exciting than a knock at the door. My whole family goes, when the door knocks... We're all there. We're like literally, we <laughs> is so excited just to see somebody. Unless anyone has more questions for the Harry Potter Virgin, we should let him go because he's, he's he probably wait. absolutely rare right, to get back it. to that I mean, book. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Um, and yeah, good luck with chapters four, five, and six. We'll no see you next time. Guys. Oh my oh, gosh, he loves wow, it. He loves guys. it. So many interesting <laughs> thoughts. So many interesting thoughts. Um, we knew, I think, that he would criticise the style, um, you know, because it's a mm. it's a book for kids. But what what does upset me a bit is is the, his issue with the names of people and things because I think Deedulous Diggles Brilliant is name. a fantastic yeah. name, like and I and having read all the books, there is absolutely no way that any names are lazy or well that's what's great though isn't it it's i love they are well thought out the fact that it almost gives this um it almost lends itself to thinking oh come on get an imagination because he doesn't understand he doesn't understand what's coming next Mm. he'll be like oh so lazy diagonally i get it he doesn't understand there's one next to it he he doesn't know what the deluminator is yeah. What, what I love about the put outer is at that stage, we're in the first chapter. We've, ne- we've not been formally introduced to a wizard yet. We are in the real world and the narrator is too. And of course, the narrator doesn't know what the name of that object is. The narrator is describing mm-hmm. it from our point of view. It's a thing that puts out lights. Yeah. It's a put outer. I think it's Rob just being a, a little bit wrong footed by how... Uh, parallel it is with the real world um Miller's reading it back or how did you you know sort of feel any general thoughts so talking about the first chapter so obviously we know that Voldemort went to Godric's Hollow and killed Lillian James um on Halloween and then the next evening um Harry and Hagrid arrive at Privet Drive so there's this whole day where we don't really know what where Harry is, he's with Hagrid, presumably. What are they doing? Like, and it's not a criticism. I don't think it's like really a plot hole. It's just, I just like the idea of like Harry and Hagrid like having a day on a magical motorbike together. And what what were they doing? Why did it take them a whole day when they had a flying motorbike? Um, yeah, and because they so Godric's Hollow is somewhere in England. I imagine it south of England somewhere, um, but wherever he goes with Hagrid is somewhere over in the West because Hagrid references he woke up as we were flying over Bristol. So they were obviously coming over from the West to uh, just outside of London, like the home county Surrey. It's Surrey, isn't it? That little whinging is. So I, I don't know, maybe he takes him uh, maybe down to West Wales. We all love West Wales. Maybe see some beaches. Something like that. Phil, that's exactly what I was just saying to, to Matt. And I said it as we were reading, like, where the where the fuck is Godric's Hollow? Because mm. I am, a, like, obviously we know Little Whingings in 
Surrey, uh, we know more than the Waldens and the Cotswolds. I always assumed that Godric's Hollow was like maybe Cotswolds E similar kind of place. Yeah. But in which case, like, they wouldn't Why? be flying over Bristol. And actually, there aren't many places if you're going to Surrey that you would need to fly over Bristol for, you know, when you don't have to take the motorways. Yeah. Basically, they, they're coming from Wales. They've been to Wales. I think... Maybe the rugby was on. A dra- <laughs> I'm, thinking, I'm thinking dragons. Like, yeah, I'm definitely that, yeah. thinking dragons. I, I because Hagrid, Hagrid would love to like, go and see yeah, a Welsh... Commonwealth to Welsh Green. Yeah. I yeah, reckon Harold's like, gone. I've got 24 hours to kill. Oh, Harry, he'd love to see some dragons. And he, he thinks, oh, I'll just go j- jump across the border. Because Dumbledore 100% would have said, we're going to have to, like, get Harry and we're going to have to drop him off at night time. Yeah. yeah, but he, we have to get him out of Godric's Hollow ASAP, but he can't come back, basically, until the next evening. Yeah. Yeah. Like we need, Hagrid, you need to take him somewhere, look after him um, Oakwood? for the day. Do you think Oakwood, maybe? I would like listeners to to message in their suggestions. Again, they've pretty much all got our uh, direct phone numbers, so they can just WhatsApp us. Um, yeah, and we'll read out some of the best suggestions next time, maybe, on, on the missing day. We know Hagrid isn't allowed to use magic because he was expelled from Hogwarts. And there's very rare exceptions where Dumbledore gives Hagrid permission to use magic. Um, and one of which I believe was on this day, he would have said, don't worry if you need to use magic. Pack your umbrella. You're probably going to need it. The same that Hagrid's mm. allowed to use magic to get the letters to Harry and to find him and to get him to, to diagonally in the next chapter. But yeah. that's why I reckon Hagrid went, I've got a whole day. I've got magic. Let's go find some dragons. Because normally he's up in Scotland and he's got to take the train. Phil. What 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 more do you have to add? You know, um, deep dive sense. We yeah. can we can talk big big picture now. We can talk the whole series. Yeah, yeah. So Order um, alert. one of my one of the bits that I remember so clearly reading book three, when you find out that Sirius, um, when Hagrid is crying in the pub, um, when Harry is hid behind um, a Christmas tree. And he's mm. saying that he's recalling what happened that night, and they're talking about when they um, that Sirius Black was the baddie, not Peter Pettigrew. Um, but he's saying like, I remember that night. He was there. He was there at the scene. He was cr- Lily and James. He kept saying he was crying, and then he said, "Take my motorbike. I won't need it anymore." Right. So at that point, and th- I remember reading that, and I just stopped, and I was like. That was the first time I realised that it it all tied together so beautifully. And I went back to that first book and there's that line in that first chapter in that first book where Rob thinks he's got a lazy writing going on, where it says, um, where did you get the motorbike? And Hagrid said, young, serious black lent at me. What I find interesting about that bit is... Dumbledore is under the impression that Sirius Black was the Potter's secret mm-hmm. keeper. So in what, like, I'm, I just think, oh, what, what's, what's Dumbledore thinking there? Because Dumbledore does think that Sirius has betrayed them. Yeah. And he is, you know, kind of the person who's been <clears throat> betraying the whole order. Yeah. Um, and we know that because he says that he himself gave evidence to the wizard Gamot or to the, to the court or whoever it was that, um, 
Sirius was the secret keeper at the time. So we do definitely know that that was his belief at the time. Dumbledore does say he he's a couple of times McGonagall has a lot of questions and he does say at least once or a couple of times there are things we may never know about mm. this so yeah Dumbledore we know from later in the books has a and we know really why because of his background but he has a a caution uh, about information and who it should be shared with and at what time you know he holds back so much from Harry um you know, in error, as you, as we kind of realise later. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all that Dumbledore doesn't, like, you know, uh, knock his hat off when at the mention of Sirius Black, even though he has grounds at this time to suspect that Black has, has betrayed them. What I also thought was a brilliant long-term reference, going back to, you know, the, the, the intricacy you were talking about, Phil, and how well-planned it is right from the beginning, they mentioned that Dumbledore's nose looks as though it's been broken at least twice. Yeah. That yeah. is brilliant. Yeah, that's amazing. We definitely know who did it what? once. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I couldn't tell you who did it twice, but maybe it was a little bit crooked in the first place. And uh, yeah, Aberforth just, Aberforth just made it a bit more bit more broken but when I read that I was like oh my god that is just like that's brilliant I didn't think of that and we know that Aberforth punched him at his mother's funeral is that right was that when that yes. happened yeah yeah no yes. Ariana's oh was it or, at or, or, Ariana's funeral yeah okay I, so I genuinely got chills when that little paragraph at the end of chapter one where Harry's there by the door he's got the letter in one hand um and obviously that's part of why, why Rob is confused about the Dursley's reaction to all this, because he's not aware of the contents of that letter that no. Dumbledore left them. He's not fully aware of their intention to try and stamp it out of Harry completely yet, which he will be aware of very soon. He's probably already reading that right now. And also he's probably coming from it from too much of a logical position. Yeah, yeah it's on paper they hate him it, it's better for them to not have to live with him most of the time and I think when he does go to Hogwarts they do like the fact that they don't have to live with him most of the time but they're not there's a lot of emotion wrapped up in it for them as well so they're not just thinking rationally like it's good to get him out of the house yeah, and all- they don't want this part of him and part of the world to have anything to do with them and in Rob's head that's what I realized when he was saying oh I don't in some way doesn't just want to read the letter and just say yeah you know we've done our 11 years having back because in Rob's head he's just going he will just pack a bag and go yeah yeah Yeah. um yeah what I'm really interested he doesn't know that Dumbledore's letter specifies that they have to term time childcare what I find really interesting so we know that Harry was one when all of this happened he would have been just over one because he was in the October and he's got an end Mm. of July birthday so just over one now I'm going to talk about this from a psychological perspective. Um, We know that children need to feel love during those very, very formative years. And that has a really poignant effect on who they are then able to become. We know that Harry was deeply, deeply, deeply loved by his parents, they were financially well off. They were in the middle of coming to the end of the war that came to an abrupt end in their deaths. Um, So in my head, there'd have been a lot of time at home 
two parents, one baby, literally adoring him, like giving him everything he could ever want. We know how he had that up until his first birthday and then a little bit beyond. Now, because Harry is such a compassionate, loving, kind, funny child at, at his at his very centre, sometimes we lose it when he gets a bit hormonal and him and Ron, him and Ron argue and all of those things. But at his centre, he has this brilliant, brilliant spirit. I wonder if, when he was very small, if actually Petunia did show him some love because she's still... I get the impression in the later books that she misses her sister. We know that actually she was just incredibly jealous and angry that Lily got taken, she felt taken away from her to go somewhere much more exciting. Um, and I wonder if actually before Harry could really understand and process, if actually she did show him some kindness. I'm with you, yeah. I, I don't see why not. Yeah. You know, we get this snapshot, this snapshot of Petunia, who's, you know, looking over the garden fence at the neighbours and, you know, gossiping about Mrs. Next Door. And when we read that, particularly as adults, when you read that, what you think in your head is, oh, she's not very nice. Um, but, but you know, who doesn't do that? Yeah, who doesn't do that, really? You know, and. Yeah, you're right, Phil. Once we get much more context about Petunia and who she is, she's a far more sympathetic character. And I don't think there's anything to say that, yeah, you're, you're wrong in that she must have taken at least some reasonable care of Harry up to some point. Mm. And, then, and then obviously, you know, I think they bung it, him under the stairs. I think it would have been a lot easier for her and for them to do that before he started showing signs of magic. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think probably maybe went about age seven or however old he was when he started showing those signs of like magic that he couldn't control. It was then a reminder or that that's who he was and maybe a realization that they weren't going to be able to ignore it or stamp it out. Yeah. Um, And I think she would hate James, but I wonder if any, Anything that she sees of him that that shows any of that magic side, she just immediately just boxes that. That's James. That's James, and um, mm, because that's yeah. James, in the same way that Snape does, because that's James, he doesn't need my sympathy because he's going to be arrogant enough to be whoever he wants to be anyway. So we just want to, you just want to really hold him down, and I think it's a lot of that hate of of James that actually we see deflected onto Harry with the Dursleys, with Petunia, uh, way more than than um, Vernon, because I don't think Vernon, Vernon really has a larger opinion of it. Um, Vernon is just thinking, stamp it yeah. out. He just wants, he just doesn't want any uh, funny business, mm-hmm. you know? That's He's just totally against it it's, it's amazing really that he uh that they that petunia obviously convinces him to take in harry the and they place. could have just left him yes. out on the doorstep or took him to an orphanage and that's where i think and... that she she must somewhere in here she, she must feel something for him because she must have fought his corner 
in that letter that Dumbledore leaves, she basically finds out that her sister's dead. And she will have had no emotional closure with her sister at all. They effectively fell out when they were kids and never looks as though they virtually never patched it up. Um, Well, and Lily was, you know, not old at that point, only like 20, 21 or something like that. So it was still all been very raw. And Petunia probably would have been thinking, although they pretend that she doesn't have a sister or whatever. Um, you think you'll always have to think you'll have time, don't yeah, you? You you'll... think there'll be the opportunity to figure things out. Yeah, for it to get better, for it to patch mm. up. Um, and, yeah, that's that's the kind of tragedy of of Petunia, which we get to so later on in the series. Um, but, no, it is just interesting to reflect on that because she's so, she's so prominent in these opening chapters. Just moving on a bit from Harry and the Dursleys, um, the three sort of teacher characters who are introduced, who are going to be really pivotal characters uh, in the book series as we go on. They're just all like on the money straight away. They're so clearly crystallised, well-thought-out characters. And we only get a very short amount of time with them in that opening chapter. But you can see how over time they, you know, that's going to open up so naturally into the kind of roles that they play. But I want to know... At what point did Dumbledore realise that his tattoo, not tattoo, his scar, was the London Underground? Was he on the Underground at the time or was he on the Bakerloo line and he thought, I know, I know exactly what's coming next. Do you know what I mean? What happened there? But also, I want to know, is like, as they add more lines and stops, like, does it does change? It change? Yeah. Like, if he was around now, would he be thinking like, oh, how am I going to get the Elizabeth line on? A bit dark. Do you think he has to do it himself with his wand? Yeah, I reckon. Dark. As he gets more lined, you know, like he is old. And I reckon as he gets more wrinkly, it, it, it's along the lines of the extending northern line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what did you want to ask really us? Really briefly, and I don't know if we'll end up like taking this out and in later, but Mrs Fig... Yes, it was intriguing to get some Mrs. Fig um, uh, content early on. And just in the context of what Rob thought, Millis, I don't know if you if you have anything to say before I add. Well, I just think, you know, later on and she and when Harry finds out that she's yeah. um, a squib and she says, I'm sorry that I had to make it so boring for you, but if they thought that you enjoyed it, yeah. they wouldn't let you come. Well, number one, they probably would yeah. just get him out of the house. But also, couldn't she have like just made it fun and then be like, oh, when you go back, like pretend that it's really, that you've had yeah. an awful time? But if you love cats, yeah. that you, and, and you don't, you all the cake you make is stale because you're a squib and you're not very good at baking. Maybe in her head, she's like, right, I won't let him watch the telly because I know tellies, especially in the 90s, like it's really exciting to watch the telly if it's at, if it's at the time where kids' programmes are on. So maybe she thought, right, I don't want him going back and saying, I, I watched The Great Umberto or whatever. I... Uh, yeah. I, I want, but I want to give him treats. Like I'll give him some of the cake. And oh, do you know what he'll love? He'll love looking at Mister Paws and Tufty when he was a baby. He'll love it. <laughs> when in reality, if you're not a cat person, it's like someone showing you pictures of their baby. If you, you're not a baby person, you're like a no, but potato. It... But you have to say, "Oh, that's nice." But even if you are a cat person, <laughs> I love my cat. 
There is no <laughs> way I want to look at pictures of anyone else's cat dead or alive. <laughs> well, I mean, my 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 thought on the Mrs. Fig um, point, Phil. I was pleased to see that Rob made absolutely yeah. no mention yeah, of her yeah. at all because it's obviously subtle. It's a little bit of humour, but it's subtle enough that it didn't even really make an impression on him. So, And that's what's so good about Fig. When she turns yeah. up in the opening chapters of Goblet of Fire, um, or is it Phoenix? Oh, no, it's is later. It no, it's later. Yeah, it's... It's Goblet of Fire, no. isn't it? Or is it no, Phoenix? No, it's Phoenix. Yes, Phoenix. Yeah, Phoenix. Yeah, she turns. She turns up there, and suddenly she's you know all clued up on the Wizarding world, and um, that's what makes that yeah. such a great twist because she's such a, a you know a yeah, nothing absolutely. figure. Maybe she's not a cake so, person, but maybe she gets given a cake once a year, like at Christmas, and she thinks, "Oh, Harry's coming round in July for Dudley's birthday. I'll keep this for him." And she doesn't realise that by seven months later, it tastes of like a crumbly rock. So any final thoughts or messages for the listeners before we sign off? You got any questions? <laughs> Give me a text. Thanks, everyone. Thank you very much, Bill. Goodbye. Uh, Aloha, Mora. And goodbye, Millers. Goodbye. And goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>